Hi, Nick here from Pods with Nick and James. Just a quick one before we get into this podcast. I want to say a massive thank you for the uh, support that we've received since starting these podcasts. We thoroughly enjoy it and we look forward to creating more. If you want to have your say on any topics that we've discussed or suggest future topics, then you can do so at www.reddit.com slash r slash Nick and James Pods. And if you want to support us, you can do so for uh, from as little as £1 a month. And you can do that at www.patreon.com slash pods with Nick and James. Anyway, back to the podcast. with Nick and James, um, a podcast where two blokes uh, talk about some deeper subjects, which uh, the sorts of conversations you'd have at a pub and wished you remembered more of the night after, or sorry, the morning after. I know that's how I felt a lot about these things. So far, we've covered uh, some interesting topics like in, uh, ancient authority uh, and Myself remembering that the one of the first recorded kings in history was King Sargon. Still love that name. Not going to get over that anytime soon. Um, uh, looking a little bit at political systems. Um, and remembering that out of all of the political systems, Oligari seemed to be quite possibly the worst next to tyranny. Um along with uh, the education system and how with uh yeah how not everything we've taught is quite there to enable us um i also learned about jonestown something which i've seen mentioned but assumed wasn't real sometimes ignorance is bliss but i don't know the truth will set you free all right how are you doing today nick i am good sir i am very good um yeah, been a been a short break since the last time we recorded. Obviously, you went on holiday, but um... absolutely, absolutely, um, it was a great time. Um, I uh, went to West Wales, and it's a beautiful country. Is all I can say. Um, it is. I've been to South Wales. It is very, very beautiful. As Lee yeah. Evans says, the thing about Wales is every time you go, you go out, you go to the shop. You go up a hill. You go home from the shop. You go up a hill. That's one that thing is, I remember from Wales. That is absolutely true. Like, um, what did... I also love how... Uh, un, I, oh, you know what? Right, sorry. I'm going to go very slightly off topic. Please bear with me, <laughs> listeners. This will just be a minute. All right. So I went to Wales, and I love it because five minutes from the holiday camp there was a castle whose name i'm not going to even try and pronounce but i went there and it was a really impressive affair like it was at least the uh, the height of a four-story building there were some parts of it which were nearly intact and other bits were in ruin you know it's the sort of thing where if you scaled it down you would see nerds in a hobby shop placing miniatures on it you know <laughs> absolutely amazing like 
Um, and I say that because I am one of those nerds, and it's the sort of shit I make <laughs> in my spare time. Um, but it was just so... It was incredibly impressive, and what it had was a sign outside of it, a couple of safety rails, very few warning signs, but the safety rails were there, and it just seemed to be common sense. You know, you can climb all over the castle, you can go all over the castle, but there's no one here to check on you. Yeah. Tell you what, there's, and... a, place, there's a place where I grew up, which um, is, it's called Hadley Castle, which is down in Essex, down mm. uh, near Southend. And it's not much of a castle, like it's a castle wall more than anything in the upright of, um, of a roundel. Um, but there's a sign as you walk in that says, don't climb on the castle. Um, but like, if you it's do, like, there's no, no barriers to stop you from climbing the castle. And to be fair, I've climbed on top of one of the roundels. Um, but sense and sensibility says you don't go too high. Um, and you don't climb the big one. <laughs> and I don't think many people do. I think they, they, it just, it's just kind of implied, isn't it? Well, that's it. But, like, um, I guess the thing that weirded me out was that you have this random castle at the end of a country road with nothing more than one a house and an old person's home next to it. And then to con contrast that with... Um, I went to a wedding the other weekend um, and there's a massive hill outside of Salisbury. And it turns out that, like, one of the largest castles in England at one point was there. And there's absolutely very little left of it. There's a cathedral that was constructed on top of the hill and then struck by lightning um, five days after its consecration. Um, which is just plain ironic. But anyway, <laughs> there's that there. And it's all it's just the foundations. And that's all that's there. And there's less of this castle up on this hill in Salisbury than there is this random one in Wales. And what really weirded me out was this massive man-made hill in Sales Salisbury with less castle on it. Um, they want the... There's a ticket office, there's a cafe, and they want £8.50 to take a look round the almost non-existent ruins, mm -hmm. as opposed to the three intact to and multi-level ruins that there were in Wales. Yeah, it's, it's silly, it, isn't it? It just kind of made me go, but anyway, mm -hmm. right. Sorry. Okay, right, moving on. Um, today's topic is about ethics. Uh, my, although I use the internet for some of this stuff uh, the main source uh, of this talk where I've got my questions from um, comes from either The Good Place uh, which is a series of Netflix which a lot of people can enjoy uh, Chidi being quite possibly the best character in that um, but also uh, just need to put this out there uh, Simon uh, Blackburn's book for the Oxford Press, uh, Ethics, a very short introduction. Um, so I'll start with the, just the, one of the basic questions. 
do you, what's the difference between ethics and morality, Nick? Do you, do you know what? I think uh... the way that I always remembered it was morals equals me. Ethics is socially imposed. Morals is your own imposition. That's the, like I'm going to be honest with you, mate. Like ten out of ten, you've hit the nail on the head there. What I found from ethics is it's both both broader and more specific. Ethics is kind of like the study of morals, from what I can tell. So morality, every person has a morality, just as everybody mm. has a philosophy. Um, their morality being part of it. But ethics seems to be the study of that morality, and if you want, if you like the the judgment of that morality and the good and bad that that morality produces, yeah, um, it's yeah, it's like yeah, don't agree with everything Simon wrote, but he definitely did a good job. Uh, um, okay, so I guess. I guess I'll start with a basic one. Do you reckon ethics has increased or decreased in the last 10, 20 years? And can you give me an example? Ethical um, behaviour as a whole? Or, think... or the need okay. of ethics? So, duh, 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 duh. all right, so I guess Simon, all right, so I get Simon um, defines it as uh, an ethical environment is is a surrounding climate of ideas of how to live uh, it determines what we find acceptable or contemptible sorry acceptable or unacceptable uh, admirable or contemptible it determines our view of when things are going well or badly it determines what we expect from ourselves and from others it determines what can be forgiven and what cannot um in the eyes of some uh something as it shapes our very identity that's one definition he gave but um i was just wondering in from a personal view do you think the do you think that the society in which we live has become more ethical in the last 10 or 20 years and if so like what would you what can can you think of an example where things have gotten better or like how it has changed so I realise that's a big, broad question, but I just kind of wanted you to know that there's not really a wrong answer here. I just want to get no, some no. views. I think, I think it's, if you look at it like, if you try to look at it like whether ethics has, um, whether there's more ethics in modern day, then I think you look, I think potentially you look, you, 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 you start the conversation wrong, if you will, and I don't mean that in an insulting mm. way. Um, no, that's I mean that um, my grandparents had a completely different level of ethics to what I have today. For example, um, their ethics brought about more um, chivalry in some aspects. Um, their ethics brought out a bit more um, community um, like I can remember my nan telling me stories about how it was completely normal for her to sit out in her front garden at a table and chair and talk to everybody that went by. I actually remember one New Year's Eve party, we walked out and did the can-can all the way down my nan's road and everybody on the street came out and joined the can-can until we went all the way down the road and all the way back up again. Everybody doing the can-can. Something that 
wouldn't happen nowadays. As a matter of fact, if somebody tried to do that, everybody would be looking out the window. Well, I say everybody, I mean proverbially everybody, would be looking out the window judging those people for trying to do that. Um, like they were strange. So I think ethics has changed um, over the last uh, 50 years at least. Absolutely. Well, I guess we live in times of great change at the moment. In the last couple of hundred years, this country has changed massively. Um, yeah, like it's city. Sorry to go back to this, but cities like Salisbury, cities like Coventry, which once dominated the landscape and like were powerhouses, or cities like Ely, even um, which were political powers in and of themselves, are now. I hate to say it, backdrops. Mm. You know? Like they're not. Yeah, they're not. Uh, they're not centres of uh, of like they still exist and they've still got historical importance. But I don't know. I can't think of the last political movement that came out of Salisbury, Coventry, or Ely. You know, um, not that I mean to pick on these places. If you're from those places, fair play to you. Your house is probably worth a lot more than what I'm going to be able to afford. <laughs> um, right. Okay, well, something that Simon brought up, and you've, you've scraped upon it because your point is more about community yeah. and about the fact that there were times when you could just let your guard down in a community. Yeah. There were times when people could talk to each other. And it was perfectly acceptable to talk to each other. Like, for example, um, I know one of my neighbours is a guy called uh, Tanko, and he's a really nice bloke. Uh, but the only reason I speak to him is because he fixes up cars on the road and ends up using up a lot of parking spaces. However, he redeems himself because he talks. He talks to you, and he's always very happy because he knows he's using up more than um, his fair share, if you will, he's always willing to move, and that, and he's always willing to have a chat. So that kind of actually possibly makes him my best neighbour, uh, even though it does frustrate me when I'm having people over, and all of the spaces are taken up on the road. <laughs> um, but that's we all got to make a living, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think, but. It, Sorry, as, you, as you said, the uh, the redeeming feature, the redeeming factor is that he, um, despite the fact that he's um, using up a lot of space, um, he isn't unapproachable, and he hasn't put a wall up, almost like almost like this is my entitlement and I'm going to have it. He. Instead, like being quite open and approachable, it's almost like I respect the fact that I'm overstepping the mark and I'm more than happy to move, but if it's no bother, I'm going to use it, um, which is completely acceptable, I think. In, in Yeah, yeah, no, there was a time when it used to frustrate me simply because uh, my, uh, my housemate and landlord um, is in many, many ways very chill. Um, I myself am very territorial uh, as a person. Like if I'm working on a desk and someone puts some of their stuff on my desk, 
I'll let it slide for 15 minutes, but I will bring it up with them <laughs> at a later point if they haven't moved it. Um, which is somewhat hypocritical because I myself make mistakes and all often cross people's boundaries. Um, but anyway, okay, so it's it's interesting here that you, you spoke about um, your grandparents' sense of uh, chivalry as well. Yeah. And that is something that Simon um, talks about in his book, um, how today's society is obsessed with rights. Yeah. Um, rather than good, or it, it's obsessed with rights rather than duty. It's always what do I deserve rather than what is expected of me. Yeah. Now, I don't mean to be a boomer here, or I don't think I would even technically am one, but I don't mean to put all of the buck on people for their own happiness and for their own well-being. I know there's a lot of complicated issues out there that we're now aware of. But I don't see... In advertisements, it's always about your rights and creating a sense in you of uh, lack of contentment. In a way, adverts are out there to rob you of your peace. But I feel that what's happened in society is as we've all kind of watched these things over the years, we've all started feeling like we are entitled to lots of stuff that perhaps we're not. And none of us want to, none of us want to step, out, step up to the plate and do good, but we want to have good done to us. Yeah. Yeah, I completely sense. agree with that. Now, I spent a lot of my... Um, I said, as I said, when we were talking about education, I spent a lot of my time in school being bullied. Um, and one of the worst things that I will remember, and I'll remember it to the day I die, I was um, encircled by a group of people that I went to school with whilst two people kicked living hell at me. And um, all, I, all I can remember is that this circle of people that were not doing anything about it um, I could not have been one of those people on the outside watching what was going on without getting involved, without stopping what was happening. Even if I didn't even like the person on the floor, even if they'd done something terribly wrong, that was wrong. And I, I couldn't stand by and watch that. And that, that, that kind of comes into that duty thing. I would feel like I had a duty to humanity, not just to that person, but to humanity to be responsible and to say, no, that's not how this is going to go. Um, unfortunately, in my, my respect, it didn't. Nobody... Nobody was looking on thought it prudent that they, or nobody felt the duty, shall we say, that to, to stop that. And I just had to wait until those guys kind of had their fun. Um, but there's been times in the past where I've, I've stopped a bully from um, starting on somebody le less um, able than myself, or even more able, but just less able to stand up for themselves. Uh, there's been a couple of times where a couple of couple of the really tough looking kids um, being picked on and I'm like 
no, you're not going to do that. I don't care. I'm a complete weed, but I, I don't care. You're not, you're not doing that. Um, yeah. No matter what the threat to my own safety it was. Um, and that comes under morals, doesn't it? I think I've always been a very strongly moral person. Um, I know discussions with certain religious um, door-to-door... Um, should we say religious door-to-door salespeople um, have had numerous long, hour-long conversations with me about how their their religion could benefit me, um, and I politely remind them or in, inform them that um, my morals are uh, more than adequate for me to be assured of my um, positive input. To, to humanity and that's good enough for me um well I, th- I think i think that's also touched upon another point there that um we all we all look to our own safety ah so okay several points here i can't remember exactly what it was called i'll maybe i should start googling this but i don't want to waste our listeners time by googling this i know there was a case in new york where um 37 people witness a man being kicked to death uh, in a back alleyway and 37 different people saw it from their various apartments. Mm-hmm. Not a single one of them called the police. Everyone assumed someone else would do it. That someone else would do it. Yeah. And unfortunately that kind of takes the whole spectator uh sport of drama if you will uh kind of really puts that on the head i'm gonna yeah. need to look up the exact numbers and find the exact example and it's probably it, it may not have been 37 it's probably i'm hoping for the sake of humanity it's less than that but i will Absolutely. actually i will look it up and find out about that later see i don't I also yearn love to the have fact the, you uh, actually i don't yearn to have the faith in humanity that you do so i'm quite uh, if it well, it probably is thirty seven, if I'm honest. <laughs> yeah, well, I just uh, well, you know what? I've got a load of endorphins kicking around my things. I've just started doing some aerobics and that, so uh, I've got endorphins in me at the at the moment now. I'm really glad we don't uh, record this immediately after work, or there would be all sorts of shit uh, <laughs> pouring out of my mouth. Uh, quick disclaimer, also sorry for swearing there. Um, the other time I was talking about uh, democracy and I f- thought that the ancient society had a good system. What I was saying there is that the idea of people having a vote as whether to go to war or not, uh, I thought was a good system. Not the idea of only landowners being able to vote. Just to be super clear on that to everybody, I realise it's very easy for that to be misconstrued. Um, so anyway, apologies for that. Right, back to this topic, though, and back to your own behaviour there, Nick. I actually really respect the fact that you speak to -to door-to-door people, as a lot of people won't do that. The moment you are approached by someone, and it's it's annoying because you only seem to be approached by... um, I myself have been scammed by loads of people who have approached me on the street either selling me something, offering me something. It just uh, I'm not even going to go into it. It does annoy me, though, the number of times that I've done that rather than just telling them to do one. 
um, because they could be, they you know, each time you interact with a person, they could be genuine. But I really like the fact that you do speak to door-to-door -door people because I've also spoken with them. I've done some of the studies with them and that. And although I don't necessarily agree with everything those guys say, I the whole reason why we're doing this podcast is because you should be able to talk about morality. You should be able to talk about politics. You should be able to talk about religion, you know, and you yeah. should be able to talk about sexuality. And although I was... sexuality is the one that's being pushed in schools, I'm not against that. Mm -hmm. But I just think you should be able to talk about the other stuff as well. I think that that's, you hit the nail on the head there. I was going to say the same thing. Like The whole reason we've started doing this podcast, and I, I wanted to do this podcast myself for personal reasons, is because I want people to feel like it's okay to challenge not other not just definitely not other people's perspectives but definitely their own perspectives i actively seek to challenge my own perspective by having these conversations with people jehovah's witnesses mormons whoever come to the door i i say to them essentially convert me i am very strongly opinionated as i'm sure you're aware um but I'm also educated to a to a level, um, but I don't profess to know everything. What I do know is that these religions um, have entranced and enlightened, for lack of a better term, millions of people. There's obviously a reason for that. So don't. I'm not going to act like I know what that reason is and it's not good enough for me. If it's good enough for millions of people, why wouldn't it be good enough for me? Tell me, why is it so good? And if, I, if it still doesn't resonate with me, then I know then. I know why it doesn't resonate with me. I know why it doesn't make sense to me. And I actually have more faith in my own beliefs than I had before I started. Weirdly enough, that's actually something which, uh, in the early days of communism, um, when that started as a movement, what they would do... Uh, was they would take a new recruit, put them with an older person who would be quiet uh, just for the sake of safety, and they would send that pair out onto a street corner for that, for that communist convert to try and convert other people. And the reason they would do that would be to mature them like quickly and mature them through conflict. Because on the street, not everyone's going to have the same opinion as you. And if you're the one who's part of a movement, you will often find yourself up against resistance. So I love the fact that what you're doing there is... You're, yeah, sorry, what the point you've made is that your, your views may have become more entrenched, but they've become better informed and refined through conflict. Yeah, and I I hate how scared I am of conflict, how annoyed I get at challenge when I'm feeling insecure, and I think that's what's happening a lot nowadays with people generally is we lose that ability to communicate um, through that lack of challenge. I also was massively challenged by Simon's book, like, and there were some parts where he 
took a view I had and he absolutely smashed it apart. And there are other times when he, he seems to think he was smashing it apart and he'd missed the point. Um, yeah, like we'll go into some of those later. But I think it, it, it's weird that me and you are having this conversation, the sort of conversation that people used to have down the pub every single day, yet we're having it maybe once every week, once every two weeks in a contained environment because these sorts of conversations make people nervous. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think there's been numerous times where I've started to express my... I mean, I've, I've come to learn that I choose to um, discuss my beliefs very selectively. And there's good reason mm. for that. And that's because my beliefs are so niche that um, people feel almost insulted by them sometimes. Um, and yeah, I've come to, I've come to these, these conclusions or not conclusions because I don't, I think belief is something you have to have a little bit of faith in. There's no real, um, no concrete, no concretized evidence, um, necessarily. So I think I've come to these, these, for lack of a better term, assumptions based through, um, research, like hours and hours and hours of research and logical deduction. So to me, it like absolutely makes sense, but there's so many people that it genuinely shakes their foundations that they insult you to kind of validate themselves. Um, and it's, it's a very immature way to, to deal with that kind of attack. But like you said, it comes from fear, isn't it? It comes, to, it comes from that fear of, of challenge, that fear of, of, of change or, absolutely. or, yeah, lack of security in your own foundation. And we've all done that, and I've been, I've been massively disappointed uh, by some people I've been speaking to, and they've reacted that way because up until they did that, they may not have even been aware, but they were winning the argument. They were winning me over. Then I make a single point which makes sense, and their immediate response is to literally um yeah ah you know what I'm not going to relive that we'll keep going with ethics though um like so one thing that simon put through in his book is the idea about us being focused more on right um rather than duties however later in the book he also talks about how um, freedom from a particular type of suffering is a really good way to start a movement, which I, I completely agree with, but I do think it sometimes gives a sense of entitlement, but we'll touch about that again. Um, some of the ways that I feel that society has made huge steps forwards, um, the tolerance of... Uh, of other sexualities other than um, just the traditional straight one uh, has, I feel has come forward like massively. I remember like in secondary school, gay jokes were normal. Like nowadays, just you, you just don't get people talking that kind of shit anymore. 
No. Um, no, but I, or at I, least... I worked in um, elderly care homes for 14 years, and mm. you wouldn't believe how normal it is for... Um, and I'm I'm quoting here. I'm paraphrasing here. I'm using words that other people have used to ex- as example. But like like the the words blackie and stuff like that are completely normal to come up in conversation. And yet for me, when the first time I heard somebody refer in that way to somebody I was working with, I my jaw hit the floor and my heart sank, and I was like wow like this is the 21st century and people still think it's okay to use that terminology man come on but it's just the time they came from and that's no excuse against it please don't think that i'm excusing these people quite often these people that i was looking after had dementia and didn't they they were regressing back to when that that was okay they weren't thinking that was okay to do now they were genuinely back in the 1930s <laughs> and they were living it was okay you know what i mean so um but well, it was... that's, it. that's it and if you're surrounded by people who agree or just if you're surrounded by people of that same generation easily done yeah yeah easily i mean done. you you learn what you live and you live what you learn and some of the kids that we i see um in the playground when I pick up my kids from school um, they some of the conversations that they are having are so adult some of the comments that are coming out of their mouth some of the insults they're throwing are so adult that you know it's not their words it's their parents and they've heard their parents say that or uh, their, they... their aunts and uncles say that and they've they're regurgitating that because they think it's cool because their parents said it so why wouldn't it be cool you know Okay, so what are they calling each other immature or toxic or no, no, just just jaded. Uh, I don't know. It's it, like the the terminology they're using isn't something that you would expect like a, a seven or eight year old kid to start using, but they're using it because their their parents. You can almost hear their parents telling them that that's what that kid that 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 kid um, that kid behaves that way because because his mum's a, a this that and the other you know or something like that. You know, wow. Um, okay, so they're still going for the jugular, and they're yeah, still absolutely. being mean. It's just in different ways. Absolutely. Oh dear. Okay. Well, I feel that in the last twenty years, um, things have gotten better for uh, gay rights. I feel that uh, things have gotten better uh, for uh, trans rights. There's a lot. There's a lot. Uh, there's a lot more understanding out there. Um, I feel that's a, that's a good thing. Um, I feel that there is, that I'm glad that, uh, like less of, not less, other than the model perfect people, uh, there seems to be a, a celebration in women of different body types, which I think is good. Um, there's, I think a, society has made a lot of progress in the last 20 years. But I will admit that there have been things that have lost, things like community, things like, I hate to say it, chivalry, um, things things like just letting your guard down and joining in um, because of, you know, security. People value their rights and people value their, their safety. Uh, and I feel to a point, Safety is somewhat of an illusion, so it's actually better to get involved. Like, I love uh, things like live music events or Kayleys because 
you sorry a Kaylee is like a English barn dance um, okay. for our listeners who haven't done it they don't happen all that often but like you know they 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 they're out there I I love these things because of the breakdown of social barriers that happen when everyone in a room is learning a dance for the first time and although you've got a partner you've got the people around you and you'll have to look at each other and figure out what you're doing and what you're doing right and it's just kind of like because of the movement and because you're dancing the music and you're giving it a go you end up smiling at each other and that creates although it's a false sense of community it's still pleasant um, i wouldn't say false i'd say temporary yes yeah no you're right you're right um okay so i i think it's gotten i think uh things have gotten better in a lot of ways uh but worse than some others. Um, I'm glad that people are aware of their own rights, but I wish that we would all fight and do a little more for the rights of others. Um, yeah, you yeah. can't see me right now, but I am nodding. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know. Um, yeah, definitely. Just take, take responsibility, take ownership. You know, if you don't, nobody else will. And that's where yeah. I—that's where my morality comes into it, where I've been left and nobody else has, um, for so long, for for a large majority of my life, um, not trying to play the violin and make people feel sorry for me, but I've experienced what it's like to not have people step up. So rather than allow that wheel to keep turning, it's on me to stop that wheel turning isn't it it's on me to stop that cycle from continuing to happen and maybe maybe by people seeing that i can be a bit courageous and i can stand up for other people um they can go you know what that wasn't that difficult and he didn't get challenged that much like he was right for doing that therefore i'm going to do that too um i think i think it was mahatma gandhi that said be the change you want to see in the world and there's never been a proverb that I've lived by more. Um, no, that's that's fantastic, and that's something we all aspire to. Um, I'm glad that you're you're living it. I'm not sure I am at the moment, but I'm working on it. All right. Well, I'll cover a couple of things. Um, sorry, I keep on calling him Simon as if I know him. Um, in the book, it covers um, seven threats to ethics. Unfortunately, this book, I'm not the best reader. I am dyslexic, um, so I listen to an audio book. So out of the seven, I can remember five. Um, the fir- the, so these are five threats to ethics, although I'll admit even the last three, to me, start to kind of meld into one another um, because of just because of my own lack of understanding in them. And I will admit this, this, like this book has both insulted and challenged me on a number of ways, but it's also made me aware of my ignorance. And I feel that I actually uh, owe the author uh, something there because he has made me aware of this. Anyway, five threats to ethics in the modern world in today's zeitgeist, if you will. The threat of the death of God, the threat of relativism, the threat of egoism, 
the threat of evolutionary um, biological understanding and the threat of determinism. So I'll cover some of those. Um, he was covering uh, the, the, the threat of the death of God, as in the move away from religion in today's Western society. Uh, morals, morals, objectivity used to, in some part in many thinking cultures, rely on theism as a way of providing object value to these subjective ideas. Um, he covers this quite well, although I will admit he was obviously raised in a Christian household and fell away from it because he just shits over my own religion and the thing I love quite a lot and does it quite well in some parts and not so well in others. But what he basically comes to say is that reli not religion, even without religion, morality and ethics still have a place because human beings are ethical and moral agents regardless of where they are even more so in communities so no matter so wherever you go every culture will have different ethics but every single culture will have ethics simply because it's a byproduct of human nature and that in itself in his mind is enough in my mind it's not enough but I will admit at least at least he sees some substance in it, you know? But then again, yeah. it's very difficult to be an ethical professor if you don't believe in ethics. I like, think, what do you believe, Nick? I, I, think, um, I think you're both bang on the money. I think the reason why you, um, what, you felt challenged by that is because it's almost an ambivalent topic, isn't it? It's almost an ambivalent um, opinion where um, I can personally see both sides of the argument. You know, I can see that that religion, e even though, even though um, I'm not personally religious, I think that the basis of each of the each of the core beliefs, um, each of the core religions, um, has value, has a lot of value and has um, strong principles which are which enable for a rich society um, and if you step outside of that and you expect community to develop into its own rich uh, pro-humanistic um, ethics like you've got to also gauge for selfishness and those natural um, animalistic traits that humans have religion quite firmly gives us um, rules regulations that are taught time and time again whereas outside of um, religion there's no stone tablet with ten commandments written on it to tell you that this is how things are supposed to be um, or to, to give you the guidelines in which how in which a good life is lived um, so you base that on what you see around you and you run the risk of getting blurred lines and you run the risk of of your ethics being manipulated or warped over time one thing that I think humans are all um, very guilty of as a whole 
is allowing community to lead the way and not challenging it when when something's wrong um i think back to the conversation i had earlier about like the entire group of kids that were stood around me not one of those wanted to stop that yet all of them would have known it was wrong but because mm. there was a sense of community and them watching what was going on they all thought it was fine they thought he thought he thinks it's fine so i think it's fine and unless anybody's going to challenge that I'm not going to change that because I don't want to be the one to change that. And that's, that's, I think the two, the two kids beating on you, were they, were they fearsome opponents or were they just, they were, they were some of the biggest bullies in the school, but that was quite frequently the the case back then. Um, I think, and then you end up with the strong leading the, the weak and this, that's how manipulation happens. And that's how, um, personal views become imposed rules and you end up in in dictatorships and 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 other things so um yeah i think religion gives a good structure to ethics a good basic um for example the ten commandments are a very good strong base for ethical behavior you know and like i said having that rule book there especially for an autistic person, nobody ever gave me the ethical guidebook when I was growing up. I had to learn all of these unwritten rules. And there's me taking mental notes every time somebody points out another one. But everybody else just seems to get it. <laughs> and I'm like, but nobody told me that that was a thing. So how was I supposed to know, man? Well, it doesn't mm. make sense. But, you know, at least at least with religion, it's very clear and says don't do that do this don't do that and sometimes that's good sometimes that's good but sometimes it's not you know sometimes when you get wrapped up in the history of religion and and everything else then then there becomes the gray area of of like absolutely like it it can be used for both great good and great evil yeah like um what what i find interesting is that uh simon's view was very much that the death of God isn't just a, it's just, it's not, it's not only not a hindrance to ethics, but it is a requirement that we move away from that. And I guess that was one of the key things that I disagreed with him on. But I can understand, like, because a number of the points that he made were valid. Like, the Bible does include... Uh, rules for how you should treat a household slave, where slavery is now known to be detestable and wrong. Um, it does include a number, like, everybody, if you're listening to this, go out and buy uh, Ethics, A Very Short Introduction by Simon Blackburn. It's, you know what, you might not agree with it, but if you're anything like me, you will learn something. Um... Yeah, I just oh, just to be clear, I don't have a book deal. It's just generally, that it's inspiring. Use code. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, okay. So yeah, I dis I disagreed with him. He also like pointed out a load of problems with Jesus. Like one of his things that he had a go at him over was Jesus is made out as meek and mild, and he was at times. But there were a load of times when he wasn't. 
but it's the perception that religious people say that he's milk, meek and mild is the falsehood, not the fact that he was. Like, he was harsh with the people he needed to be harsh, harsh with. He was... Uh, yeah, As I just, understand it, it, and once again, um, not religious, but as yeah. I understand it, he was exactly what he needed to be for whatever situation he was in. Well, uh, that, that, that's that's it. Like, he, you know, if somebody was a puffed-up arsehole, he spoke to them like a puffed-up arsehole. You know? Yeah. Um, were, I'm not going to pretend to understand the cultural dynamics between Jew and Gentile 2,000 years ago. But, like, there was a massive cultural divide, and there were times when his interactions with Gentiles weren't great by modern-day standards. Um, I, I, I did really struggle with the one where Simon says that Jesus obviously didn't care about prof, property rights because of the story that I think it's in... It's in two of the Gospels, so it's, like, repeated. The more something's re repeated in the Bible in different places, the more kind of credible it's seen as going, just as like news from multiple sources, as it's like, as the Bible's made up of 52 books. Sorry, I'm not going to talk all about this all that way. Um, but he talks at one point where uh, one of the famous stories is there was a bloke who had not just one demon in him, not just one mental health problem, but loads and he used to scavenge around a burial ground. Um, and I can't, like one side of the Sea of Galilee. And at one point he meets Jesus and Jesus can't, like, I won't go through the entire whole interaction. Um, but the, the demons call themselves Legion because there is a lot of them in this bloke. And I, I don't, I'm not going to pretend to understand what's going on here. But Jesus casts them out into a bunch of pigs. The pigs all run down into the into the lake and die. Now I realise it sounds like a load of bollocks, and although I believe it happened, I don't necessarily have proof, and I don't have like the farmers' market records from two thousand years ago. But Simon was saying because Jesus did that, he didn't care about property rights of the people who owned the pigs. And I'm like, you've missed the point. The point is that God cares about that one individual complete waster of a man than he does about the additional welfare of a load of rich folk. Like, it, the whole... And even, even then, even now, I'm saying the story wrong. And if I get struck by lightning later tonight, you'll know why. But still, it's just like... Yeah, Simon took that out of context and I just felt that that was badly researched compared with... But there's a the, chance. The there's sheer a chance quality. That, um, there's a chance that this Simon is basing it on his own experience, and maybe, maybe he may very well have had a negative he, experience. I certainly did. Like maybe, maybe he comes from a wealthy background, and actually, wealth looks after wealth. So, what he would see out of his own experience there is that that was damage to property, and that in itself is a crime. So, why, like, if, yeah. if you know, whereas my own morals coming from from no money 
like I look exactly at the humanity of the situation where God um banished the demons out of the the being out of the human to give him a better chance at being um being a normal bloke being a normal human you know um yeah. you know but it's it swings around about it's what you it's, as you, as we said absolutely. earlier it's what you live and what you learn isn't it so absolutely right well um, we're nearly we're nearly out of time but I've actually only I can't believe this I've actually done a better job than I thought I'd done um <laughs> I've got loads of stuff still here to cover. We won't what you mean come is, back to this, but I will actually. Is, we we managed to we managed to talk the ears off of your, the topics that you'd researched. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've got like a load of other. Okay, so we'll move on from the death from the threat of the death of God. Yep. Um, and the next one is the threat of, uh, the threat of relativism, to the idea of ethics being worthwhile and valuable um one of the main things that is covered here is when well that's just your opinion how often have you had that said to you like i know it's thrown around in media a fair amount of times it's seen as a polite refusal um i find in... it's thrown at me when i um prove my point beyond point of argument and they don't have a counter argument so then they make out that it's my opinion yes no. because that's the only way to undermine your victory is to say that the victory doesn't matter yeah yeah exactly so i i quite often i will research a topic that i'm quite um uh that i believe in quite firmly to the point where i back it up with quite a lot of fact um, and I don't, I'm, I'm very careful about what I say so that I am clear in what is hypothetical or logical deduction and what is based on factual um, research. Yeah. So when I am arguing the point with, with someone um, and I manage to, to get my point across, um, because it is so strongly backed up, if I do actually argue, bear in mind I don't argue, um, so if I do end up arguing, it's because I firmly believe in what I'm saying and I firmly know what I'm talking about. So um, I give everything over and then they go, oh crap, I've got nothing to come back with. So, well, you're entitled to that because that's your opinion. No, I am entitled to that because it's not just opinion. That is fact. And if it wasn't fact, I wouldn't have wasted half of my day trying to prove to you that that was fact. If it was my opinion, I would have kept yeah. it to myself. <laughs> or they'll call you insecure or petty for putting yeah. the effort in to engage them in conversation. Like, and this is the annoying thing. Like, although everyone likes to be right, no one likes to be wrong. That's why I struggled reading this book, because there are several points in which I'm wrong. This is why I struggle with arguments as I'm bad at putting my points across and I get muddled in my speech. But when I'm defeated, I'm not, having read this, I'm definitely going to try and be far more positive about the situation than, well, that's just your opinion. Like, well, that's just your opinion. It doesn't give the person it, it's not providing an answer 
it's not providing an opportunity to continue discussing or to even change the subject of conversation. It's not an admission of being wrong. It's just literally saying that everything that we've talked about doesn't matter because it's all subjective. And if you're going to look at things like ethics, you can't just say that's just your opinion because then what you're basically saying is the entire conversation is a waste of time. And I, I, this is a point I did really agree with Simon about. Um, it's not, well, that's just your opinion, is, it's a terrible phrase. And it's, it's something, yeah, it's something which people will say to stuff they disagree with as a way of allowing themselves to continue believing what they believe unchallenged. You know? Yeah. Like I, I don't know how you feel, but sometimes I actually use the I actually use the phrase in the return um in the return sense. So instead of saying, oh that's just your opinion in order to save somebody the need to argue with me, which is never going to go well, I quite often say, but it's okay, because that's just my opinion. And then leave it there and walk away. Um, because... Uh, <laughs> Mike, you use it as a mic drop. I, exactly that, exactly that. So <laughs> Sorry, what, I've, what I've learned over the years is quite often people will go to say it um, as a means to get out of an argument. But if you take that away from them, they kind of sit there going, oh, um, yeah, so. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I like I like doing that. So, yeah, I, w I will quite often give across my opinion, quite, uh, give across my opinion or based on the, the, the research that I've done, and then I'll go, but it's okay, that's only my opinion, and then leave them to chew on it. Okay. Well, that yeah, that that's fair enough. But I find it interesting that when talking about now, this is the thing that I'm really worried about. When when anyone talks about like subjectivity and objectivity, subjectivity is used as a way of softening things, and you get you know like French philosophers who uh, were saying that uh, reality is the biggest illusion here, simply because I can't actually prove anything to do with anything whereas every every person who's properly tried to think about things seems to come to the conclusion that objective reality although they can't prove it seems to be real through its shared and consistent nature even though it's a chaotic and changing nature what i find interesting is that the idea that everything's subjective and nothing really matters seems to be held by... Well, I know I was one of these people. Uh, so, okay, so you know what? I'll describe myself as I was when I was younger or when I was first dipping my toe into philosophy. Subjectivity seemed to be incredibly attractive because it had the glamour of being very liquid you could almost 
justify anything, say anything, interact with anything on a light level and on your terms when it's subjective. And because it's subjective in that way, it's a very attractive view for the young and for those who haven't necessarily invested or researched a topic yet. You come at it from a light-hearted, subjective point of view, and that allows you to, or facilitates you to learn more about it. And I see that as fair enough. But just because that's your view of it, it shouldn't mean that you can assume that everyone else should hold that same view. You know? Yeah. Um, it's... It, I, I do find it weird, though, although I disagree with um, absolute relativism, the amount it gets shit on by every single serious philosophy professor I've read is, is baffling. It's something they obviously find themselves hitting their head against a brick wall about. Like, literally, it gets shat on more than religion. Um... Like, and I'm wondering, is, uh, okay, it, right, something that seems to be on the rise in, in society on the whole, uh, optimist, optimistic nihilism. And I'm going to be honest with you, maybe it's just my autism, maybe it's my own stupidity here. I can't get my head around it. Yeah, to because, be fair, when you said that, my brain kind of went, where? Right, okay, so nihilism is obviously the belief, not to say obvious, I, I hate, also hate when people say basically, obviously, all of this lot, because unfortunately, a work colleague, yeah, he shall remain nameless, because uh, I doubt he'll be very happy with me using his name on this podcast, <laughs> pointed out to me how often I said basically in conversations, and annoyingly, I've now picked up on that, and I've picked up on how often my brother says it, and everyone says it, all the time. Um, and it now annoys me, and it wasn't a pet peeve, and now it is. Um, so thank you very much, that particular work colleague who pointed that out to me. Um, right, just so you know, mate, it wasn't yourself. Uh, it With... Op with optimistic nihilism, I can understand it's incredibly freeing, but it's only incredibly freeing when you have food on the table, reliable systems of support and governance, and a long and happy life ahead of you. Opportun uh, optimistic nihilism simply, sim simply gives you freedom in that context. And I can see it working for a lot of young people. I can't see it working for anyone else, though. Yeah, I so I, be... I just read a little bit on optimis optimistic nihilism, just to verse myself. No, I didn't. I wasn't um, fully versed on nihilism mm. myself, but obviously nihilism is um, life has no meaning. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, well, it's not. It's not just that life has no meaning. It's that everything has no meaning like you can you can be an atheist but not a nihilist if you still believe that certain things are important nihilism seems to be the complete shutdown almost of... depression of 
all sort. Yeah, yeah, okay. and like, and this is the weird thing because you've got a lot of smart kids who are now going for this. Yeah, so optimistic nihilism is like n nothing has any meaning. So no, nothing has any meaning other than what you give it. And and so therefore it's like seen as this ultimate freedom. Mm. But if nothing has any meaning, then it means that when people hurt you or when you've hurt them, it no longer matters. And although it's good not to dwell too much on the past and not to beat yourself too much up, there are times when you should attempt to make amends. Like, and you, there are... Although I believe people should forgive things, they shouldn't just say it doesn't matter. And I guess this is something that kind of annoys me because even in things like anime, like uh, Attack on Titan, can't even remember one of the characters' name, but they have the most intelligent um, character in the series basically point out the subject ne subjective nature of morality and part of me was so disappointed in the writers of that series um, at that point because if because the character was so intelligent and had done so much it was disappointing to see them even as a teenager, holding the viewpoint of a student who was only a couple of years older than them. Like, I would have assumed their their raw substance would have given them a greater insight than to simply pander to the masses. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, that's, that's right. Sorry, I've gone off on one. Again, apologies. Um, okay, so, so, yeah, subjectivity... Uh, and relativism, and then finally nihilism. All of those things kind of... They all take a stab at ethics, but I don't feel they defeat it. Um, and that might just be because of my own immature, moral, emotional thinking, but that's, that's, that's just myself. All right, uh, what we've got here, what we've got next is the threat of egoism. Um, I'm going to just group these all together, even though they are separate. The threat of egoism, uh, evolutionary doctrine, and determinism. Um, egoism being that everybody does everything out of self-interest all the time. I would argue that even if somebody does something kind to make themselves feel better, it doesn't make it makes it not altruistic, but it doesn't mean that it's not kind. It undermines it, but it doesn't destroy it. Like what? What do you yeah. think? No, I agree. I agree. Okay. Um, when it comes to the evolutionary principles, again, Simon takes a massive stab. I, I didn't see this coming. He takes a massive stab at Dawkins um, and points out that even if we are... Uh, the, the way that he put it was really good, and I wish I had have written this down. Um, he was looking at like different ethical kind of papers and stuff, and one of them was explaining about 
uh, motherly love. And yeah. it was saying that motherly love exists. Here are the examples and here's why it exists. Therefore, motherly love doesn't exist. And that's the way he pointed out that it's flawed. It's a flawed investigation. Because if you're saying that motherly love is only made up of all of these things, splitting it up into different pieces doesn't mean the collective whole of those pieces does not exist. Um, which I found interesting, uh, if, if nothing else. Um, the final one he used was, and he only touched upon this briefly, as he said there was whole other books to be written about this. Uh, determinism, the fact that everything is already determined, the fact that f your choices are not real choices. Uh, they're just the form of the calculations that you make in your brain. Um, I've got a mate of mine who's uh, a, bio, a, bio, a chemistry and biology teacher, and he's a smart man, but he fully believes in determinism. Um, and it, I, and I will admit, if determinism is true, then I understand why it kind of somewhat destroys ethics. I, I, unfortunately, I wasn't. This is the annoying thing. So, all of our listeners, you may have guessed by now, I'm not a very smart man. I was not able to understand. Simon's arguments against determinism. However, the very fact that he was able to make any kind of argument against it still gave me somewhat hope. Like, uh, I, I realise this is my, a bit of a weird word, and I, had, I didn't know that determinism referred to this. I just knew that it was a, a view that my mate had, that we are just chemicals. There is no choice things will happen in response to uh, we are just the response of our genetic disposition and external stimuli. So essentially um, so essentially biological fate. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. That exactly. Not not spiritual fate, like everything's pre written and and God's had a hand in everything, but your your sociological and biological um like history outlines your future. Determines it completely. That's why it's called determinism. Mm. Sorry, and again that sound that came out wrong. Sorry about that. Um sorry, yes, you've hit the nail on the head. But it's, it's like, literally, you have no choice. Everything that will happen to you will happen to you. You are not a moral agent. You are just the result. And yeah. will continue to be the result. See, I don't, I don't... And this is where I think determinism is going to be massively not for me. Because, like, I've had... Um, experience with a number of different people should we say who have experienced a number of different things um myself i've had a should we say a colorful past um i personally have not been a very nice person at times um and i have had not very nice things done to me um my choice now is to have learned from those experiences and to 
act against any kind of negative inhibitions I may have. Um, whereas I have also got, I have also, I also know of people that I grew up around who had similar. I won't say the same because they weren't in my shoes directly, but similar backgrounds um, that choose not to act on experience, not to grow from um, negative experiences and not to more to dwell on those negative experiences and to continue those cycles turning. Um, and you tend, you tend to find that they um, choose... And it is an active choice because I know I can almost put my finger on exactly when I made the choice not to be this person. Um, so for me, it was very clear um, when I chose to be a good person. And so when I see people having had the same experiences, the same richness of history, shall we say, and they choose not to learn, then... Like determinism is completely thrown out the window because biologically near on exactly the same people uh, hereditarily, her, her, hereditarily should we say even to the point where um, some of my cousins um, may fall into this same bracket and um, like one of my cousins has even got um, his dad is my dad's brother, and his mum is my mum's sister. So, like, it couldn't be any more cousins if we tried, you know. The genetics are very much there. Um, and yet... Wait, so you both got the same set of grandparents? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's bizarre. It's utterly bizarre, but welcome to my world. Um, I, I, okay, I, I can't... My family's from Somerset. I'll leave it at that. Uh... Um... Okay, you know what? Maybe if that requires further stuff, um, I think everywhere. No, has you know got what? No, I'm not. I'm, I'm not going. I'm not going. I'm not going. I'm not going to go. I'm going to go. I'm not going to go on record. Everywhere Everybody's... has got that. 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 Um, like I'm. I'm currently living in Sussex, and they tell me that that people from this place or that place are inbred, or that place and this place are inbred, or that place and you know, and everywhere's got that. You. you you know, I was brought up in South End, and we used to say that people from Pitsy were inbred. You know what I mean? Um, but I think maybe <laughs> that's possibly scary. Maybe everyone is inbred. I just uh, well, I, just I know don't, my own my you, own my own family history. If you remember back to our first podcast where I brought up mm -hmm. royalty, and then I mentioned about Charlemagne and our the the uh, seven yeah. the, the extension of seven. Yes, everybody is inbred at some point. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, let's yeah. not let's not go there. But um, yeah, determinism, determinism, I think, is completely. Um, it can be disregarded, and I probably would. I won't say I would disregard it completely because I will probably investigate it a little bit more to make sure that I'm not mm. just brushing it aside. But it's one of those things that I think this is what I kind of do. I kind of go, well, that doesn't resonate with me. Let me find out why. Let me find out why that doesn't resonate with me. Let me really know why I, that doesn't make sense. I can tell you why it just doesn't resonate with me, but I will admit fully the reason why it doesn't resonate with me is because it goes against my experience of existence. Mm. Because I have considered 
like I, we're all making choices all the time and i i i don't know i almost see um reality as like either a pinch point like the I I believe in the power. I believe that choice is is real. That free will is real, and I believe in possibilities. And I know that I there have been loads of times when I could have made a stupid choice and I didn't, or I could have made a good choice and I haven't. You know. Yep. Um. My ability to choose is if everything is pre if if determinism is real then slavery doesn't matter because choice is an illusion you know and i feel yeah. that no choice it, it's just not yeah but at the same time i realize that that is incredibly scientifically flawed and incredibly naive I think on a cellular level, absolutely. If you go down to the, if you go below um, self-awareness, then determinism is a very strong factor. Mm. You know, absolutely. But it, when you become self-aware, um, then determinism you have the you have the ability to almost break your programming, for lack of a better term. Um, and yes, I'm aware that I'm almost quoting AI um, when like, you make something self-aware, then it has the, the opportunity to learn. And when you have the opportunity to learn, then you have the opportunity to choose to do different than you were determined to do. Absolutely. No, that's, that's true. Okay, well, I think I've covered... Um... I'm, I'm going to call it there, but like uh, there were several things that um, were gone into in the book uh, where they started talking about um, abortion and euthanasia. Um, again, I was like somewhat, the, the weird thing is I was somewhat challenged with some things, but there were some bits where me and... Um, yeah, me and the author were entirely in the right. It's just in the idea that things are not as black and white as anybody likes to to think they are. But I think maybe uh, things like euthanasia, things like abortion should be topics for things in, in and of themselves rather than just something that we skip over now. Um, I guess the final question that I have here, because I've just found a whole bunch of questions I was supposed to ask you, but we have actually covered them. Um do you have a favourite moral philosopher? No, I think I have favourite proverbs. And I've already said my favourite, which is be the change you want to be in the world. And that was Mahatma Gandhi. Um, but I am a man of many proverbs. And I think a lot of my rule book, should we say, is these proverbs that I've heard or I've come up with my own way. Um mm over the ways over the over the years um and you can ask any one of the people that have spent a lot of time with me quite often i will annoyingly come out with a random 
metaphor or or make like that will explain a situation almost perfectly um and that's, that's fair enough all right i'll tell you well um from what i've learned recently i'm liking Kant and disliking Nietzsche um just generally although i wouldn't uh i wouldn't I haven't read enough of their stuff, so we'll be covering them at a later point. Who was that again? I, you, you got a little bit of robot. Okay, no worries. Um, so I'm, uh, I enjoyed um, uh, Kant, uh, Immanuel Kant, uh, mm -hmm. and I'm. The annoying thing is, Albert Einstein was massively inspired by Friedrich Nietzsche. Um, but Nietzsche's a lot of Nietzsche's philosophy seems to be incredibly reductive. Um, or, but maybe that's just trying to use science within psychology as it was uh, still in its infantile state. And I do love the the quote from Friedrich Nietzsche: um, "Nationalism is an infantile disease." <laughs> Um, as it really kind of sums up the stupidity of war over lines drawn on a map or authority for, you know, if a, if a leader truly values their people, then they will think twice before going to war rather than just, can I get away with this? Can it be get, but anyway, sorry, that's another thing. I'll tell you what, Neil, I'm oh, sorry. I'll tell you what, Nick, sorry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um I one of my favorite proverbs um is taken from the Bible, but I learned even during this that it wasn't originally spoken there. I love the golden rule of ethics, and that is do unto others as they would do to you. I love that uh, it's one of my favorite quotes from the Bible because it it's then followed by because in this is summed up the law and the prophets. See, I that would is, um... I would probably change that mm. a little bit based on personal experience to do unto others as you would have done unto yourself. Mm. Okay, yeah. Well, I probably I've probably said it wrong. That that's my favourite moral quote. Although I had to do have several others. Since you've said that you have a, a, a whole system of proverbs. What? Which one would you say is your favourite? Oh God, give me a scenario. Like, there's ah, uh, okay. So they are applied to individual scenarios. Absolutely, right, um, absolutely. Which Which one do you think is the most important, overarching uh, proverb or thought, or are they all practical in nature? Yeah, I think they're all just they're all practical. So I will quite mm. often come up with. Um, proverbs because proverbs are my way of understanding um, each individual scenario because although every scenario in itself is unique um, and being autistic it becomes very difficult to like try to look at each individual scenario and understand it entirely if I make it into something that I know then I understand it better. So, um, no, that's fair. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of an example, but like I said, without having the scenario there, 
then it becomes difficult for me to um, think up something. That's fair enough. All right, listeners. Well, I'm going to call it a day there. Um, If you have gotten through all of this, uh, thank you once again for your time. I can't pay you back. On that, I uh, wish you good night. Thanks very much for listening, guys. Take care.